Hey, good morning, Sycamore View. The mission of our church is we want to help people see Jesus. The vision of our church is to be about the restoration of God. Restore is a return to life, which means we want our hearts to return to life in God, relationships to return to life, Memphis to return to life. I'm glad you're here, whether it's your uh, you've been coming here for over 30 years or it's your first time. Those of who are joining us on live stream today, we welcome you as well. Last Sunday night, we had a fifth grade blessing. It's kind of hard to believe I actually have one who has finished fifth grade. Part of that fifth grade blessing is that as parents, we had to write a blessing over our kids. So in that blessing, I wrote over our oldest son, Truett. I reiterated and went through the values of our family. We have like six values that Casey and I have tried to instill in our children from the day they were born. Now, these have maybe have changed a little bit over time, and, and this is not, these don't have to be your values. Yours could be different. But if you go to the next slide, here are the six values that we know we want to, like, raise our children in our house to believe. And these are things we want to instill in them, to crave Jesus above all things. That Christianity is not an idea or belief system. It's that we are following a person who is here on earth and who still lives today. That we want uh, to raise our children to worship freely, which is why we have dance parties in our homes. We try to teach our kids that often your hearts follow where your, pa- your postures take them. So a lot of times when we pray at home as a family, whoever's turn it is to pray gets to pick what prayer posture they want to pray in. We want our kids to know that in any worship service, you can worship as freely as you want. And if people make fun of you, that's their problem, not yours. We want our kids to have a wide circle of friends. So we encourage our kids from an early age. We want them to have white friends and black friends and Latino friends and rich friends and friends who would be identified as poor and those who are classified in their, in their, in their room at school in a lot of different ways. Those who are athletes, those who are creative types. We want our kids to search out the, friend, the person in their school who is lonely. We want them to befriend them. We want our children to do what is right even when it's hard. We pray this over them every night. We want our kids to embrace joy as a priceless treasure and choose joy every single day. And we want our kids to be brave. Every night we pray over them, God, help them to not be afraid of anything. Now, it is kind of crazy that we're at a point where we have one who has finished fifth grade. There are times I do some weird things with numbers in my head. So recently I was like, Casey, can you believe it? In less than a year, we're going to have a teenager in our home. And she's like, Josh, I don't even want to go there. And sometimes when Casey says, don't go there, I'm already there. And it's like, I didn't really hear her, so I kept going. I was like, did you know, like in four years, we're going to have somebody who's driving in our house with a license, three years, probably driving with us in the car. Josh, I don't want to hear it no more. (laughs) Casey, in seven years, we're going to have a kid graduating from high school. Josh, stop right there. Stop. And then I went one step further. I was like, baby, if, this, if our son takes the same path we did, he's going to be married in 10 years and you're going to be a grandma in 14, all right? <laughs> it's like, no more. We want our kids to know these. And the last one is one I want to talk about with you today, about being brave and being courageous and choosing bravery. Because the Bible does say things like perfect love drives out fear, but if we're not careful, we allow fear to drive out perfect love. And we live in a world where today there are not just dozens, there are hundreds of reasons for you to be afraid, but we serve a God who is telling us every day, be brave, be courageous, choose bravery, choose courage, do something risky for the kingdom. So I want to take you to a place today where there is a statement of be strong and courageous that shows up in the Bible multiple times. We're, in fact, I'm going to end this sermon. We're going to sing a song. We occasionally sing in this, song, in this church, Be Strong and Courageous. The song is called Don't Be Afraid. 
There are certain songs that when we sing them, they stick with me for days. I cannot get them out of my head. This is one of them, which is why I thought that'd be a great reason to sing this song today because maybe it won't get out of your head for a few days either. Sarah Brooks was here last week and she co-preached with me. Sarah Brooks was here back in January where she spoke at a girls' conference here in our city. We took Sarah Brooks to lunch back in January. And over lunch, Casey and I were sitting with her. And occasionally when I'm with people who have a heart for God, I'm not afraid to ask them really hard questions about life. I said, Sarah, I have two questions I want to ask you before you leave today. I asked her the first one, and I won't spend any time with that one. But the second one, I said, Sarah, I would just like to know, what do you think is the greatest risk God is calling you to in the year 2019? And she was like, I'm never going to lunch with you and Casey ever again. (laughs) And she said, I don't know. So last Saturday night, we had Sarah and her husband and their family over for dinner. And at one point, she said, Josh, that question you asked me back in January, I can't get it out of my head. And I don't have an answer for you yet, but someday you're going to get a random phone call from me and I'm going to have an answer to that question. So if I were to ask you, this year in 2019, can you identify a moment in your life in 2019 when you have been brave for God? Not just brave in life, but brave with God. And can you identify a way that God is calling you this year to be brave and courageous in your life? So the place where this statement, be strong and courageous, shows up, most people, if you know your Bibles very well, would say Joshua chapter 1, which is correct, but it shows up before Joshua chapter 1. So let me kind of walk you through uh, this, this, where be strong and courageous shows up. There's six times where it shows up, three at the end of Deuteronomy, three in Joshua. Now, before we get there, I believe there are some people in this room that if I were to ask you right now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, you probably couldn't find it and you probably don't even know it. And I'm so glad we're a church where people can come who don't know much about Jesus and we just want to help people know more about Jesus and more about God. So let me just help you real quick. The first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, first five books, are attributed to Moses as the author. Genesis takes over a thousand years to write. There are a lot of different people and generations in Genesis. Exodus through Deuteronomy slows down quite a bit. And it's basically the story of the life of Moses, which begins in Egypt when there are slaves. And then Moses leads them to a promised land. And Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus, those three books... Or take place in about a year span of time. Deuteronomy takes place in like one long speech that Moses gives. So Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, it's the end of Moses' life. He's on his deathbed. He's leaving them with, hey, here's one last thing I want you to remember. Do you know what the word Deuteronomy means? You may need, you may need to know this to get into heaven one day. Deuteronomy means reiterating the law. It's everything in Deuteronomy, almost everything, has already been said in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He's just reiterating it. He's laying back and he's laying this in front of all of the people. So let me help you. Cooper and Cole, do you mind joining me real quick? I didn't ask you to do this. You can bring your coffee up here, Brandon. That's all right. All right. So, uh, Brandon, you sit here. Cole, you come sit right over here. Brandon, just for a moment, you're going to represent Moses for us today, all right? I bet Moses kind of had a haircut kind of like you have today. He was 120 years old when he gives his speech. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying of the two of you, I think you fit Moses better, all right? You're going to be Joshua this morning. 
probably young, stocky, ready to go run, who knows what else. I just want to walk you through where this phrase, be strong and courageous, shows up and how it shows up. So it comes to the end of Moses' life, 120 years old. In fact, Deuteronomy 31, which is where I want to begin, verse 1 through 3 says this, Moses went out and he spoke these words to all Israel. So he's not speaking specifically to Joshua, but to all the people of God. And here's what he says, I'm now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. And I'm sure some of the people were like, we know you're 120, man. We've been eating dinner at 4.30 for the last decade, all right? <laughs> he's old, okay? The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan River. Moses knew he wasn't going across the Jordan River. He said, the Lord your God himself will cross ahead of you. So now he's speaking these words of blessing and courage and, and obedience over the people of God. So he says this, to all Israel. So the first time you see this phrase shows up, it's to all Israel. And he says, be strong and courageous. Now, I'm going to read you six places in the Bible where this phrase, be strong and courageous, shows up. And I want you to circle and highlight all of the promises of God and the challenges and commands of God that surround the phrase, be strong and courageous. Here's what God says. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So God's not saying, go be strong and courageous, pat him on the back, good luck. God's saying, hey, as you are strong and courageous, I'm right there with you. Now, a lot of this, where he's talking to them, is about expansion. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to take over some enemies. They're going to have land. They're going to grow a kingdom. In verse 7, Moses, it says this, Moses summoned Joshua. So now, can you turn a little bit? Because now you're speaking specifically to Joshua. And I just wanted you to have a visual of this. So he's speaking to Joshua, but all the people can hear what Moses is saying to Joshua. We do this sometimes from the stage in this church. Next Sunday, we're going to have you and a bunch of your friends who are going to all different kind of camps and mission trips, and we're going to bring you up on the stage and spread you over this room, and we're going to lay hands on you and pray, and we're going to send you out and ask God to help you be strong and courageous. There are times we bring ministers up to celebrate who they are, and, and we pray over them, and we may be speaking to them, but the whole church is hearing what we have to say. So the first time you see the phrase is Moses speaking it to all the people, be strong and courageous, but now he speaks to Joshua so all the people can hear, and it's be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Now, I didn't want to skip what happens next. Because now Moses is speaking to the people, and here's what he tells them. And, and I just want to read verse 9 through, I think, 14. Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, children, foreigners residing in your towns, so they can all listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and to follow carefully all the words of this law. And their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. He's placing the law in front of them and saying, this isn't just for you to like have up in your mind. This is to be handed on from one generation to another generation to be obedient to God. And then something kind of weird happens. When I think of Moses, if you ask me to describe who Moses was, I would say Moses was a leader. Moses was one who, led, who, who delivered them. Early on, Moses is bashful. Later on in Moses' life, he's super courageous. 
But one thing we kind of forget about Moses is Moses was also a songwriter. The first song in the Bible is in Exodus 15. It's it's a song of Moses. The last song you hear about in the Bible is in Revelation 15. And then it's a song of Moses that now has Jesus in it bringing the ultimate deliverance. And now Moses is 120 on his deathbed. And here's what God tells him in Deuteronomy chapter 31, 19. He says, now write down this song. So now God's going to give Moses a song. And I want you to teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. How great is that, right? And in verse 22, it says, So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. Now, I'm not going to read through this whole song, but in Exodus 32 is the entire song. It's over 40 verses. Now, I didn't go through and read this in the Hebrew, so I don't know if there was like a rhyme to it. But if he is teaching people a song, it would have been a lot easier if it was like one of those songs that had four lines in the first verse, four lines in the second verse, a chorus that is easy to remember, a bridge that you can kind of, you know, just has two or three phrases. Maybe what Jeff Walling called a 7-Eleven song. Seven words, we sing them 11 times over and over again. That's easy to remember. This song is over 40 verses long. And it's not that hopeful of a song. It's a song about the faithfulness of God, but then it it gets into, like in the song is that a day is coming when you're going to rebel against God. You're going to choose disobedience instead of obedience, and there are going to be consequences to your sin, and then God's going to have mercy on you. Moses wrote it, taught it, they memorized it, now it's in the Bible for you to see it. And then right after that, in verse 23, right after this song, it says, the Lord gave this command to Joshua. So first time the command comes, it's Moses speaking to all the people. Second time the command co- commandment comes, it's Moses speaking specifically to Joshua. Third time, it's the Lord speaking to Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you will bring the Israelites into the land, I promise them an oath. And I myself will be with you. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the very end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, there's a commissioning on Joshua And in verse 9, it's now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. It's like the great commissioning at the end of Deuteronomy. Now, bad news, Moses dies. So you can go ahead and go back down. Thanks for being up here. But Joshua remains. So when you flip the Bible from Deuteronomy 34 to Joshua chapter 1, now you have this. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, I can't go into this long today. But when you see the Jordan River show up in the Bible, not every time, but a lot of times, the Jordan River is an obstacle to where the people need to go. So whenever you see Jordan River, you should probably pause for a minute, circle in your Bible, and notice there's an obstacle, something that needs to be crossed. And there's a sermon there at some point about the Jordan Rivers that are currently, that you are facing in your life where there is an obstacle, and you need God's strength to help you cross that. So right here, there's an obstacle. And then God begins telling Joshua this in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to to their ancestors to give them. And then he repeats it again. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. And then God, like he's like, have I not commanded you already? So just don't forget this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Six times. The first one is Moses to all the people. The second one is Moses directly to Joshua. The last four, it's God speaking specifically to Joshua. Be strong, be courageous. Thanks, man, for being up here for a minute. Can you just put your hands together and thank my two people who I didn't even ask. They just came. (laughs) Did you notice all the promises of God that surround these phrases? That it's not based on your effort and go out there and try to do good in your life. It's God reminding them of I'm calling you to be courageous and to be strong and to be brave. But this isn't something you do on your own. It's something I'm right there. I'm coming along to do it with you. Even when we read and quote things like Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, this isn't a verse about you trying to do something great to make your life better. It's that you realize that the strength of God isn't here just to make your life better. It's so God can use you to make the whole world better. It's so that the kingdom of God is made better. Uh, Brene Brown has become one of my favorite authors. I, I quote her some. Brene Brown's a best-selling author, has written multiple books that have sold millions of copies. She's become really famous because of some TED Talks she does, specifically talking about vulnerability and courage and how they need each other. Uh, My mother is the biggest Brene Brown fan that I know. My mom, sometimes when I'm in a place and my mom is speaking, my mom and I would joke about how many times my mom will quote Brene Brown in a message that she's giving. My mom and I are about to write a book together, and I've had to put a quote on it. Mom, you can only do this many Brene Brown quotes, or Brene Brown's going to probably sue us because you're quoting her way too much. Brene Brown uh, wrote a book, her book that probably sold more than any of the others. is a book called Daring Greatly. There's a story of how she landed on the title, but I don't have time to tell all of that today. It's in her Netflix special if you care to hear it. But she came across this because she was in a place of depression in her life. She was overwhelmed with some pain. And she was sitting on a couch doing research and she came across a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Who is the one who first talked about this idea of daring greatly. Now I'll put it all up on the screen. You can go home, you can find this on your computer, your laptop. But I just want you to hear this for a moment this morning. And here's what he said years ago. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doers of deeds could have been done better, could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who becomes short uh, again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. One of the greatest fears of my life is that one day God will come to me and God will say, Josh, why are you playing it way too safe in life? You're not taking any risks. You're not modeling courage. You're not embracing bravery. 
Why are you going to play in it too safe? So, part of what I think I do every week, a job God has given me is to step up on this stage and to prepare you to enter into an arena of life every Monday because that's what we do, right? We step into arenas. We step into arenas on our own. We step into reasons in our jobs. We step into arenas with other people. And part of what I do is try to equip you to step into an arena, to engage in a fight in the world. Now, I, get it. I have to choose every week. I have to wrestle with this of what voice am I going to use and what hat am I going to put on as I call the church and equip the church to step into an arena of life for God. And there are times where the voice I want to use or the hat I put on is the voice of a prophet, where what I want to tell you is it's time for us to be strong and courageous. Like we need the light of God to come on in our lives because often we become way too complacent, way too apathetic. Yet the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is in you and is in the church to bring us to life. So it's time for us to answer the call and to step into a world and to know that we have something to give the world and you need to be brave to do it. And there's times I want to be a prophet about it. And there's times you need a prophet in your life. And then there are times where I want to take more of a route of the voice or a hat of a pastor where I want to tend to you and nurture your heart to help you realize who you are in God and what your identity is in God what God has done for you and how God is trying to bring you to health and bring you to life so that God can use you to touch the world. And there are times I want to use a voice or put on a hat of a coach where I want to give you like practical steps to take as you step into an arena of life every Monday so that you go into a world to make a difference. And I think the hardest thing for me is no matter what voice or what hat I choose to put on to help you live a life that is courageous is that I, I face the fact that I'm a leader and I'm trying to call a church to do things, and am I willing to do what I'm calling a church to do and be? Because a lot of times when I talk to my minister friends and pastor friends, there's not a Saturday night anxiety that fills most of my friends. It's a Sunday night anxiety that fills us. It's not the Saturday night anxiety of, I got to get in front of people and say something. It's the Sunday night anxiety of, I stepped in front of people and I said something and is my life, does my life line up with what I told the church to do? Is that we don't want to be a living contradiction. I don't want to ever ask you to do something I'm not willing to do in my own life. I don't want to ask you to go be brave and courageous for God if I'm not trying to model it in my own life. So let me try to help you just for a moment how the first five books of the Bible go. It's the first five books that are often attributed to Moses. And it ends by Moses giving this last teaching, almost all of Deuteronomy, to the people of God, teaching them about obedience and about covenant and telling them what's going to happen if or when you disobey. But Deuteronomy ends, so the first five books of the Bible end with a, like a great commission. And the great commission is be strong and courageous, which even though it's given to Joshua, it's for all the people to live out as they move into a new land. So the first five books end with their own commission. Now, the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, a book that talks about the story of Jesus. And if you were a Jew, you would have known the first five books of the Bible and how they ended. Like the whole phrase, be strong and courageous, like every Jew would have known it. And they would have known it's how those first five books of the Bible ended. And now Matthew's writing to Jews, to Jewish Christians. And in Matthew, Matthew's trying to help people see that Jesus is the new Moses. Because for anybody who's read the Bible, Moses is one of, if not the greatest character in the Bible other than Jesus. Jesus. 
And now Matthew wants you to see Jesus is the new Moses. He's bringing everything Moses brought and he's taking it to a whole nother level. Moses led a great deliverance coming out of Egypt. Jesus is leading the ultimate deliverance. And there are five big teachings in the gospel of Matthew. And most people believe what Moses is doing is he's helping you see that Jesus is the new Moses in every kind of way. That here are the five teachings of Moses and here are the five teachings of Jesus. Matthew 5, 7, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 2. If you have the red letters, these five places in the Gospel of Matthew are full of red letters. And just like the first five books in the Bible end with this great commission of be strong and courageous, Matthew ends with a great commission. Deuteronomy ends with a commissioning to Joshua that he has received the spirit of Moses because Moses has laid his hands on Joshua. And Matthew ends with the great commission of Matthew 28, 16 through 20, where verse 18 is Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. And now here's what I'm doing. I'm giving it to you. And though the word courage doesn't show up, any Jew would have known that Matthew is doing what the first five books in the Bible did. That the first five books are preparing people and Joshua to be strong and courageous. And Matthew is preparing people to go be strong and courageous. And this is for everybody. It's not that Josh Ross will be strong and courageous and your elders and your ministers will be strong and courageous. This, This is for everyone. This is for the single mother. This is for the person who's lost their job. This is for every man and woman in the room. Be strong and courageous. Now, in my life, when it's come to me trying to be brave and courageous, a lot of times the initial act of bravery can be really difficult to take. So what Brene Brown says is this is even hard whenever it comes to you like asking someone on a first date or telling someone you love them for the first time, the courage it takes to do something like that. Now, in a church, this can be hard because that first time, have you ever told somebody about Jesus? And when you did it, It's a major risk. You have to have courage to do it. If you've reached out to someone in need, it takes great courage to make that initial step. Uh, So so I pursued Casey for about six months before she finally said yes to going out with me. I tell these stories sometimes. And and we don't really know like when our first actual date happened because there were kind of a few. But the first time we actually spent time just one-on-one, I knew she wouldn't go on a date with me. So what I did is I did something like this. Is right before the summer of our freshman year. And I said, Casey, I'm going to intern at a church this summer. You're going to intern at a church this summer. We're going to be like 30 minutes away. So we're serving people around the same neighborhood or the same area. I think it would be cool if we got together and prayed over our youth groups this summer. What do you think about that? And she was like, that sounds like a good idea. And I said, well, why don't I pick you up and we can go to Sonic and we can sip on a Coke and we can pray over our youth groups together. And she's like, sure. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So, so we get there and we're sipping on some sonic drinks and it came time to pray. And I don't remember how it happened, but I think I said something like, well, you know, in my family, we often hold hands when we pray because um, it's a sign of connection, all right, and unity. So, so we held hands. Now, we didn't intertwine. It wasn't a web. We just, you know, did the palm thing, all right, uh, and we prayed. And I remember... Just the courage just to get to that point, all right? So anytime in our lives, the initial thing, step of courage is hard. But, but what I've discovered in my life, and probably yours too, some of the hardest times for us to be courageous and brave for God, it's when we have been through or when we are in seasons of adversity or pain. 
It's when you've taken a risk before and it didn't pay off. Will you take a risk again? It's when you've tried to talk to someone about Jesus before, speak a word of God into their lives, and you felt rejection. Will you do it again? So, a lot of times for you, what's been hard, it's when you've been through seasons of divorce. Do you date again? And what is that like when you reach out to someone? You've been through a season of pain. How do you re-engage in life in some kind of way? It takes a lot of courage to do it. So here are a few reasons that keep us from bravery. And I think we need to write these down and declare these as obstacles of the gospel in the world. And they're this. We fail to be brave because we fear criticism. We fail to be brave because we cannot control the outcome. And we fail to be brave because we often fear failure and rejection. We fear criticism. We fear or we fail to be brave because we can't control the outcome, and we sure like to do that. And we fail to be brave because we fear failure. And every day the gospel needs to go to a world. And if we're not overcoming these fears, what's happening in the world? So let me end just with one sermon uh, story. Um, one of my best friends in the world is Chris Seedman, one of my closest friends. He preaches in North Dallas. And uh, Chris, I've been aware of some of the struggles they've had with their middle son, Garrison, for a long time. Garrison just graduated high school a couple weeks ago. There's, from the age of two through eight, they never saw Garrison smile. He was depressed. From the age of six to eight, at a young age, he was fascinated, just obsessed with death. Like, why was he alive? And then there was a period of a lot of rebellion in Garrison's life. And in the last couple of years, God has healed him in, in some amazing ways. So a few months ago, Tara, Chris's wife, was walking down the hallway and she could hear Garrison in his room reading scripture. Now, this was a big thing for Garrison because for years what would happen when Chris was up on a stage preaching, he would look down where his wife was there with his three boys and his wife and two of his boys were either paying attention or acting like they were, but Garrison would have a hoodie over his head with his head down in between his knees for the entire sermon. And now they hear Garrison in his room reading the Bible. So Tara came and told Chris, he's like, Chris, go hear this. So Chris went and listened, and there's Garrison reading the Bible. And then Chris was able to, to acknowledge and to hear that it wasn't just Garrison reading out loud to himself. He was reading to friends. So later that night, Garrison came in their room to tell him good night. And Chris's curiosity was great. So Chris said, hey, Garrison, earlier today, I heard you reading the Bible in your room to some friends. What was happening? And Garrison said, Dad, we were playing, I was playing Fortnite with seven of my friends. And we were on this app, and we're all playing Fortnite together. And we took a little break from Fortnite. But the app we were on, you could see what was in each other's rooms. And somebody asked me, they said, hey, Garrison, what is that book on the desk behind you? And Garrison turned and looked, and it was his Bible. He said, that's my Bible. And then someone on the, who he was playing with said, are you a believer? And Garrison said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer in God. And then based on the comments that follow, Garrison could tell that most of these people were not believers in God. And one girl said, well, both of my parents are atheists, and I don't really know what I believe in, but I go to school with a lot of Muslims, and they talk all the time about fearing God. And she said, Garrison, do you fear God? 
And Garrison said, well, I guess in a sense I fear God, but just as much as I fear God, I love God and I believe God loves me. Which that started this conversation with all of them because most people there had never put God and love in the same sentence. So the conversation that followed after that was anything but boring. It was enlightening. People were asking questions. And then Garrison, who isn't one who has taken risks like this in his life, Garrison said, why don't we play a game real quick? And he said, I'm just going to give you two numbers, and I want you to choose a number in between these two. And wherever it, wherever, whatever number you call out, I'm going to find it in the Bible, and I'm going to read whatever page it's on. Garrison was going to play Bible roulette with these friends. <laughs> and he said, Dad, I gave them numbers 733 through 982. I only gave them the numbers for the New Testament because I didn't want to mess with the Old Testament. I'm like, safe move by Garrison. So they gave him a number, and he flipped there, and he opens to John chapter 20, which is about the resurrection of Jesus and Thomas, who had doubts about Jesus rising from the dead. And he read it to his friends, and they talked about it. And Garrison, that was kind of where the conversation ended. And what Chris told Garrison is, Garrison, what you did tonight is you were faithful to God because that was an act of courage. It was you being brave. Because you are not responsible about what happens in those persons and in those people for the rest of their lives. But in that moment, you were responsible to be faithful to God. And who knows what kind of seeds were planted and what kind of curiosity is now being stirred. And I don't know what this is going to look like for you in your life. It probably isn't going to be you playing Fortnite on an app with friends. But how is God calling you to be brave tomorrow? How is God calling you to step into an arena? So I'm going to ask elders and prayer leaders to go around the room to receive you for prayer, a word of blessing. Maybe you just need somebody to pray a courageous prayer over you. That you will be brave in areas of your life where you know you need to be brave. And maybe for you, you've yet to take an act of courage, to take a step to surrender your life to Jesus or to be baptized into Christ. And if so, the arms of God are open and he's inviting you to come into his heart. For those of us who are not going to go to prayer leaders, I'm going to ask us to stand and sing. It's a song that we sing in this church quite a bit, and I'm going to ask us to sing this as a declaration today to our faith in God. So let's stand together and let's sing this.